The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for, instruction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That word inspiration means God breathed. In other words, when the scripture was given, it was given based upon what God wanted it to say. And it's important for us to understand what God said in his word. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says, Know this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, we find that we're all supposed to be speaking the same things. And so that it's very important that we realize when it comes to God's word, it is given to us by God. That we have his word and we can trust his word. And when it comes to his word, we have to come to the understanding of what he is conveying to us. I say all of that because I want us to remember that songs are written and they are not written by inspiration. It is man's uh, imagination or uh, creativity that comes up with the words to the songs that we sing. And so there are times that you may get a meaning from a song that someone else may have a different meaning. We want to make sure that we sing songs that represent the truth. We don't want to sing songs that convey something that is false, something that would be a false teaching or a false doctrine. Tonight in the song that we're going to look at, we're going to see some of the, one of the objections that some have about part of that song, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But I find it very interesting that as an invitation song, from what I read, what I've seen, is that the Church of Christ is the only one that has this song in their songbook. And I thought that that was kind of interesting. Because the song suggests that there are several things that we must do in obedience to Christ that we might have salvation. And it's important that we do those things that he has set forth and told us that we must do in order to be saved. I want to go to heaven, as we mentioned this morning. We looked last Sunday at hell in the early, in the early hour. And we looked at heaven this morning. And we realized that those are there for God, that God put those things there to motivate us. He put the fear of punishment and the joy of a reward there to in, encourage us to act upon our faith, to do the things that he has instructed us to do. And many times people hear the gospel and they'll hold back. They know that they need to make changes in their life. They need to obey the gospel and do the things that the Bible teaches us that we must do in order to be saved. But yet they'll hold out. And when the song talks about only a step, it is just a step. But it is a difficult step sometimes. And if you've ever stepped out in that aisle to walk down that aisle in response to the invitation song, then you realize how difficult that may be. And sometimes as Christians, we realize there's things that we need to do, straighten up in our lives, and we ask for the prayers of the congregation because we've changed. And we want them to know that we've changed. But even in those situations, it's sometimes difficult to take that first step and to do the things that God wants us to do. 
And so as we examine this song tonight, I want us to realize that it is only a step that, that we start off with. And as the song says, hear the sweet voice of Jesus say, Come unto me, I am the way. Hearken the loving call, obey. Come, for he loves you so. We should listen to what Jesus tells us. In Matthew, the 17th chapter on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says in verse 5, And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. That's the voice of God telling us that we need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to his words. We need to listen to the things that he's told and, and given to the apostles to teach us in the holy word of God. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And so we know that in these last times that we need to be listening to what Jesus is saying in his word. That doesn't mean that we open the Bible and look for the red letters. Those are important. But it also means that we look at the other teachings because he delegated authority to the apostles and they were guided by the Holy Spirit, which is why we have many of the scriptures that we have today. Because they were writing what God wanted them to write. And may I remind all of us that when we speak, we need to speak as the oracles of God, as Peter tells us. That means we need to be saying what God wants us to say, not what we would like or what we would imagine or what we would think or what we would feel. But we need to be teaching and preaching the word of God. Why should we listen to the words of Jesus? What makes Jesus so special? Well, we need to listen to his words because in John chapter 12 and verse 48, he tells us, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And so we know that we're going to stand in judgment. Jesus is going to be our judge. And we need to be ready to stand before him on that occasion so that our desire and our hope, and because we've lived the life that we've lived, we're going to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to hear, Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. And so it's important that we listen to those words and we obey those words and live according to his will. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I listen to many different people out there in the world today, and there's, they say that there's many different ways to get to heaven. As I mentioned this morning, not everyone that says they're going to heaven is going to make it. And there's a lot of Christians that I'm afraid are going to be surprised on that day. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And so I have to do the Father's will, and the only place that I can find the Father's will is in the written word of God. And so it's important that we listen to the words of Jesus, because he's warning us and telling us that he is the only way. And there are people out there, preachers that will say, there's many different ways to get to heaven. Jesus says there's only one, and we need to heed that way and obey his will. And the reason that we should listen to him is that he loved us. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. 
many places in the scripture when it talks about how we are to walk or how we are to love each other, how we are to forgive each other, forbear each other. Many times in those passages or somewhere very, very close by, it lists Jesus as our example. And we see in his life that he loved people. He loves us. He loves you and me. And he cares about us. And he wants us to go to heaven. But we have to want to go to heaven. And we have to love him enough to be obedient to his will. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Those are the words of Jesus. Not me. That's the words of Jesus. That's what he tells us that we must do. And so it's important that we listen to his words. So that we can have heaven as our home. The second stanza of that song is talking about casting our heavy burdens. It says, cast your heavy burdens down. Come to the cross the world may frown. Yet ye may wear a glorious crown when he makes up his own. The Lord wants us to cast our burdens on him. Sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? When things are going wrong in our lives, we're having a difficult time, pressures are building up. We may talk to God and lay our burdens down, but many times we pick those burdens up and we carry them off with us after we say amen in that prayer. And how sad that is because we have our Heavenly Father, we have His Son who says that they are there to help us. They care about us. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, Peter says, Casting all your cares upon Him, for He careth for you. He's talking about our Lord. God cares for us. And I think about all the things in this world, that this universe that God has to keep track of, but yet he cares about you and me as an individual. He knows our name. He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And he's willing to take those burdens and bear those burdens and help us to carry that load that we are working under. In Psalms chapter 55 and verse 22, it says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. I think part of our problem sometimes is we know that God says those things, but we just don't trust him to do it. We get let down by our friends, our family sometimes. They, they say, tell us what your problems is. We'll help you with that. And we tell them the problems, and then guess what? They disappear. God doesn't do that. God loves us and God cares for us. In fact, it was Jesus who said in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God is willing Jesus is willing to help us with our burdens. I cannot imagine a greater burden than the burden of sin. When we sin, that separates us from God. We want to be reconciled back. God makes that way for that to happen. While we're out there in that sinful condition, many times we're carrying guilt and shame. It's a burden that we bear. How do I get rid of this? How do I overcome the problem that I have with this sin in my life? I've stopped doing it, but yet I still have the guilt and the shame. 
and our Lord is there to help us in those situations. Because it's only through the blood of Christ that we can have the forgiveness of sin. It's only through our obedience to the gospel. Where Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's where our salvation is at, in the blood of Christ. And when you look at Romans chapter 6, you can see the representation of what baptism is. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ reenacted. Only we die to sin. We come up out of that water. And the Bible says that we're a new creature. We've been buried with our Lord in baptism into his death. And we come up a new person. And we rise to walk in newness of life. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's how we take care of that problem of sin. And when those sins are forgotten, the Bible says that God removes them as far as the east is from the west. And we know how far that is, don't we? It's unmeasurable. That's how far God removes them from us. That's what the sinner must do, obey the gospel. When he talks about come to the cross... A couple of weeks ago, we mentioned in, or talked about in our sermon the message of the cross. In coming to the cross, it symbolizes our response of faith and obedience to the preaching of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of of God. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God into salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We understand, those of us who accept what the Bible teaches, that that gospel is the power of God to save our soul. That it's through what Jesus did on the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, through doing that made it possible for us to have eternal life. That cross is where Jesus shed his blood. That cross is where Jesus died so that you and I could have the forgiveness of sin. And so we must come to the cross. Oh, yeah, the world may frown. The world may not like it. Your friends may make fun of you. Your family may not appreciate it. But we want to do what our Lord wants us to do because that's what we must do if we want to go to heaven. The reward of coming to the cross is, a, is the promise of a glorious crown. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul is near the end of his life. He says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Wouldn't it be great to have that confidence that the Apostle Paul had? And when you think about the life that he had before he became a Christian, that should give us all hope. We're not too sinful to be forgiven. And we're not beyond hope. That God cares about us enough that if we will come to the cross, if we will accept Jesus and do what he tells us to do in order to be saved, 
we can have the forgiveness of sin. Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last part of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. So there's a few places in the Bible that it talks about that crown of life. And so we need to live our lives in such a way. And I suppose part of that is the thought of uh, running a race or going out into battle and coming back. Many times a person that was victorious was given a crown. It may be in a reef. It may have been something else. But they were given a crown because they were victorious. Well, guess what? We're running in a race. You and I as Christians, if we're living that Christian life, we're involved in a race. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly... So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What do we learn from that passage of Scripture? One of the things that we learn is that Paul was involved in that race. Just like you and I, he was involved in that race. But he also points out that there's things that we need to do, things that we would have to stay away from. Any athlete that's involved in a race... There are things that they do to prepare for that race. There's food that they may avoid. There's something that they may drink that they would avoid. There's things that they stay away from, and they have a regimen that helps them to stay in shape to run that race and to be victorious. And then when they're victorious, they're given that crown at the end of the race. Over in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're running that race. And as Paul said, we need to be temperate. We have to be self-controlled. That means we have to listen to what our Lord tells us, and be controlled to the point where we do what he's told us to do. And not only one person can win, the good news in this spiritual race is that everyone that's running the race, if they're faithful, can win. They can have that home in heaven. And I hope that we're all striving to the best of our ability to run that race and laying aside all those things that can beset us, that can get us off course, that can slow us down and strive every day to live to serve our Lord. The third stanza of that song says that we must come to Jesus. It says, open for you the pearly gates. Loved ones for you, now watch and wait. Terrible thought to cry too late. Jesus, I come to thee. By his death on the cross... Jesus has opened the pearly gate for all who come to him. And this morning in our scripture reading in Revelation 21 and 22, we read about the gates of pearl as part of the description of heaven. We talked about, or we didn't read all of the description in that chapter, 
But if you read all that chapter, you would see the precious stones that make up the foundation of that city. We talked about the street of pure gold as transparent glass. And we said those terms are words that sometimes it's hard for us to comprehend, like for gold being transparent. We don't see gold as transparent. We can't see through gold here. But again, I believe that God is trying to use our language to show us the beauty and the majesty of heaven. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 21, it says that 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gates was one pearl. And the city, or the streets of the city, was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. We know that the gates are open. And what a welcome sight that will be for those who take that first step and remain faithful while they're here on this earth. That phrase, loved ones for you, now watch and wait. That phrase raises concerns and objections from some people. In fact, in in sacred selections for the church, Elias Crum changed those words to say, saved ones for you, now watch and wait. He did that in other songs that were in his hymnals. And the first objection to that phrase seems to be that since we all have physical family members, loved ones, who will not be in heaven, we should not sing as though our loved ones will be there. I cannot answer for you. This gets back to the song is not by the inspiration of God. I cannot answer for you. However, when I sing that song, I can sing it with the understanding that first, I do have loved ones in my family who were faithful Christians and whom I hope to see in heaven. If they're there, it will be a joyous thing. If they're not, I'm still going to be happy because I'll be with God. My second point would be this. Even though I may have loved ones in my family who will not be in heaven, the loved ones whom I have among the saints, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are even more dear to me than those family members. And I certainly hope to see those loved ones in heaven. In fact, I spend more time, besides my immediate family, my wife and children and grandchildren, I spend more time with my brothers and sisters in Christ than I do any other family member. And if we don't consider each other loved ones, then maybe we're not in the right family. We are the family of God. And so when I sing that song, that's what I think of. The second objection would be that we should not sing songs which picture anyone, loved ones or saved ones, already in heaven watching and waiting for us. I am aware and I know that there are some good brethren who take the position that souls of the righteous now go directly to heaven to wait the resurrection and the final judgment. 
And while I think that I understand their arguments, they haven't convinced me yet that that's what we do. I still understand the scriptures to teach that our souls and the souls of the righteous go into the Hadean realm, the place of disembodied spirits, which is where the rich man and Lazarus were. At the same time, the area of Hades in which, we, in which they rest is called a place of comfort, as we've seen when we talked about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 25, or 20 and verse 25. And that would be very similar to heaven. And it is undoubtedly part of the heavenly places that the Bible talks about in the spiritual realm as opposed to the physical realm. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, to the extent that now into the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And so those heavenly places, I would believe, included the place that we call paradise, the place where people go now to wait for that final judgment, and then will be in heaven forever. So there is some sense when we look at the scripture, which tells us that they that have gone, have gone to be with Christ. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul's desire was to be with Christ. And if I understand what the Bible is teaching in that waiting place, would where he would be where he would be, but it would be in the presence of our Lord. And so we need to think about what we sing, and I'm not saying you can sing this song or not sing this song. I'm just pointing out that that's the way I look at those words. And I want us to realize that sometimes there's questions, but we need to examine those words and see if we can come to an understanding so we can sing those songs with the spirit and the understanding. It is from that exalted position of being with Christ, <clears throat> waiting for the resurrection and the final judgment, that those who have gone on before us watch and wait, that it is what I understand, that is what I understand to be the meaning in that song. Given the hope that the faithful Christian has in being with the saints for all eternity, it would be a terrible thing for one to come to the Lord in this life or to not come to the Lord in this life and then hear that cry, too late to enter in. I think of Noah. God told Noah to build an ark. Scripture says that it was 120 years in preparing. He preached to those people. His example preached to those people. But yet they rejected everything that they saw and everything that they heard. 
The Bible tells us that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights after Noah went into that ark. And that the fountains of the deep broke loose. And it appears all the water came to the surface. Nothing like that had happened before. And the Bible says that they made fun of Mo, or Noah while he was preparing. But I always wonder when Mo, or Noah went into that ark and God shut the door. What was the thought of the people while they were outside? I would imagine that when he first went in, it didn't start raining immediately. I would imagine that they ridiculed him, made fun of him. But I always wondered what happened when that first raindrop fell on their head. And then the next one. And the next one. It was too late. In fact, it was just one step for them. Just like it's one step for us. But someday it will be too late. Jesus gave a parable about the ten virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish kept their, or took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a made a cry, or cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. In other words, there was a point where it was too late. We know the Lord is going to return. We have no promise of our own very lives lasting another day, another hour, another minute for that matter. The question is, are we ready for that day? And if we're not, then we need to make changes in our lives. Don't wait till it's too late. It may be only a step, but that's a step that you need to take. It's a step that leads you to Christ. You need to be obedient to his will. You see, the chorus of that song emphasizes how relatively easy it is for one to come to Christ for salvation. It says only a step, only a step. Come for he bled for you and died. He's the same loving Savior yet. Jesus the crucified. By no means does that song mean that it will, only, that it will not take any effort on our part to turn away from sin. We have to do our part. God has done his part. Jesus has done his part. We need to do our part, and that is to be obedient to what he tells us what we must do. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We see in the book of Acts where many people were baptized on the day of Pentecost. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? When Peter had told them by wicked hands they had crucified Christ. 
And Peter answered them and said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They told them, <clears throat> the apostles told them the same thing that Jesus said. Because Jesus taught us that we had to repent, Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. He taught that we need to be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch, when he was taught by Philip, as they were traveling along there in the wilderness, he said, See, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And the eunuch said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. <clears throat> and they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why didn't they wait till they got back to the city? Why didn't they wait till another day? You know, I, I've always thought that if there was any time to say that you could pray the sinner's prayer, it would have been on the day of Pentecost because there was about 3,000 souls that were baptized on that occasion. <clears throat> it would have been easier to say, pray this prayer. But that's not what Peter said. It would have been easier to say, well, let's wait till we get to where we can go and maybe we'll have some dry clothes to put on. Maybe we can make it a comfortable time, but I think that I'm saved right now. Why did they baptize them right then and there immediately? Because that's what Jesus said you had to do in order to be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's not too hard to understand. Because if I said I wanted you to mow and rake my yard and I'll give you $1,000, I think you would understand what I meant you had to do. You would have to mow my yard and rake the yard to get that $1,000. Why is it so hard for people to understand when Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved? And then on top of that one, we see that practiced in the book of Acts. We don't have the authority to change what God's Word said. It is given by His inspiration. It's not subject to private interpretation. We all need to be speaking the same things. question is, are we ready? Maybe only a step. But if we truly are determined to make our lives right with him, we can be sure that coming to Jesus is only a step. Will you make that step tonight? If you're not a Christian, we would encourage you to do that. Maybe you've wandered away and you need our prayers. It's only a step to come back. You can come and have a seat up here on the front row as together we stand and sing.